You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Thank you so much for tuning in to Mama's Talking Loud. Jess and I love bringing these stories to you, amplifying the journey of the working artist mom, supporting the struggle, and striving to change the social safety net. But we need your help. If you haven't already, we would so appreciate if you would follow, rate, and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. This is the way we can continue to raise awareness and change the narrative. And if you want more insight into our world, please follow us on Instagram at Mama's Talking Loud, on Twitter at Mama's Talking Pod, and on our website, www.mamastalkingloud.com. The following episode contains sensitive content and may be upsetting for some of our listeners. Please listen with care. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. Continuing our Pride Month content, this week's guest is a production stage manager, helming shows such as SpongeBob SquarePants, Motown, and the upcoming MJ the Musical. Together with her wife, they have journeyed through foster care, adoption, an endless array of special needs, and the reality that they are white women raising black children in an unjust society. Her story is a lesson in leading with love, always having your heart open for what life may bring, and truly meeting your children where they are every day. Here's our episode with Julia Jones. Welcome, Julia. We are so excited to have you. Oh, I'm excited to be here. We we loved speaking for, with you for Women's Day on Broadway, and Jess and I immediately were like, we need to have her on for a full episode because we want to know more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like so intrigued, and I said, who? I don't, you know, it's something that neither Caro nor I knew you. Do you know what I mean? Like in this business, I feel like we know almost everybody, at least stage managers too. So it was Well, like- I, I kind of... Um... I kind of fly under the radar. I feel like that's part of my job. <laughs> but you have an epic resume, so it's unusual that like our paths wouldn't have cro- crossed at some point, you know, with yeah. the amount of stage managing that you have done in our industry. The question that we always lead with with all of our guests is we first ask about your kids because that's yeah. not something in our industry we really talk about all that much. Um, we aren't really given the space to do so. So right. that's where we start. So tell us about your kids. 
So I have three kids, uh, Olivia, who is 17, uh, Cooper, who is 16, and Ruby, who's 14. Um, they are, I mean, they're teenagers, so that's kind of the awful part, but uh, <laughs> it's also, I mean, I'm kind of learning to appreciate it. Um, uh, Olivia is, uh, Olivia lives with bipolar disorder um, and she's doing great. She has uh, gone through more in 17 years than most of us have in uh, 55 years. Um, and, but she's come out the other side. She's a beautiful, smart, empathetic young woman. And I couldn't be more proud of her. Um, she don't trust her to find anything in your house. She's completely a dope. <laughs> she, you know, she's, she's a wonderful dope. Um, Cooper is uh, 16 and he is, uh, he lives with um, a uh, autism. He's on the autism spectrum and he also has bipolar disorder uh, and, and OCD. His, his comorbidity list goes on and on and on, but, um, he's awesome. He's, um, just got his first group of friends at, uh, 16, which is really, I mean, as sometimes we thought it would never happen. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, he, he's a rail fanner which means he likes to go and record trains and he likes to ride trains. And um, he's found a group of friends that also rail fan. And some of them are older and some of them are uh, neurologically typical and they sort of take care of them. And I have um, one of his friends is also autistic and he has my text number He's 30 years old. And in fact, tomorrow I'm driving to Bear Mountain and I've been elected to be the person who grills the food. So we got a little grill and we're going to Bear Mountain to celebrate Nick's 30th birthday party. Um, so it's going to be me and a bunch of rail fanners. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that term, to be honest. I didn't either. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's insane. But... Um, yeah, so he's he's really um I I know one of you has a child with special needs, Kara, yeah. And and it's it's up and down, you know, they're the most wonderful, joyous people and then you have moments where you're like ready to pull your hair out. And um he definitely gives us all of those. Um <laughs> But he's doing well in school. He's um, he's remote because he got COVID from his in-person school and it flipped him out. Uh, so even though he's fully vaxxed now, he's going to stay remote the rest of the year. Um, and then my youngest, Ruby, is super funny. Um, she is... She's 
keeps to herself for the most part. Um, she has a nice group of friends. For the last year, she's pretty much been in her room because uh, of this damn pandemic has sort of scared her into her room. So we get sightings and she comes out to feed. Um, but for the most part, yeah, she she's, um, but she has a good group of friends and she does well in school. Um, they were all adopted through um, foster care. So they came to us from the hospital as foster children and then when they were legally able to be adopted, we, we adopted. That's amazing, Julia. <laughs> I mean, well, and she, you didn't even really like tell us all that entailed. Cause I definitely did a deep dive on your blogs, your wife's blog, which I also found. Um, okay. So about, you know, the intricacies and actually the, um, the things you dealt with when you adopted these babies uh, and how incredible it is. Jess, it looks like you want to say something. Well, I was just going to say, we've never talked to someone who has fostered children. No, we we haven't talked to a parent who has fostered their children um, or any children. So thank you for, first off, I'm just super excited because our listeners have not heard this journey to motherhood, this path to parenthood. So um, yeah, I just, so we are wanting to, like Kara said, she did a deep dive and like, we want to just like get into it because I've often thought about, you know, fostering and the emotional attachment and the roller coaster that can go along with it. Cause I do have other friends who have fostered their way to parenthood. And, um, those moments where they call you out of nowhere and they say, there's a baby. And can you, you know, if, can you, can you let us in a little bit on what that's like? Maybe, you know, maybe with Olivia or Cooper, I mean, it's, you know, your first go at it, what that was like with her. So we've had, I think we've had about 16 kids uh, in and out of our home over the last 17 years. Um, We, we tried to, uh, Doreen tried to get pregnant and uh was unable to i have had no interest in that <laughs> after watching my sister's uh bear children i thought that's horrible and i don't have to do that so why would i <laughs> um and then we thought about private adoption but at that point we were you know broke um from trying to have kids and so we were kind of like just bringing more animals into our home. Uh, you know, with every kid uh, that we didn't get, we brought another animal. Um, so we we um, found out from uh, a neighbor of ours about a system in New Jersey called Foster Adopt. And it puts you in touch. Now, I don't think the program exists anymore uh, because the... Department of Family Services in New Jersey has actually changed names. It's not even DIFUS anymore. Um, But they had this program and it put you in touch with children who were sort of earmarked for adoption. Um, Kids that, so our kids were all born um, poly drug addicted. Uh, Cooper was born uh, HIV and hep C positive. Um, it was the, the mother had erupted during 
childbirth and those were the antibodies. Um, but we didn't know that for the first year, you know, they test every six months to see if they still are testing positive. Um, but, you know, thank God he tested out of that, those two illnesses. Um, but the, so back to the fostering, we went to our foster care classes when I was doing uh, urine town on Broadway. Um, and we, we did our foster care classes and we got our license. And before we got our license in the mail, we received a call that they needed a temporary placement for a six-year-old. And so we took her in and it was temporary. She was with us for a very short time. Um, but I think right away we knew that it wasn't going to just be adoption for us, that it was going to be fostering because this little girl who had been sexually abused by her um, brother, uh, you know, she slept in a bathing suit. She, there were lots of protections and she was so little. Um, but we were able to give her a little bit of joy. Um, we were able to take her into the city and do little things with her that, and I mean little things, that these kids just don't have an opportunity to have. Um, and then two weeks later, we got a call about Olivia. And um, we went to the hospital and she had been born eight weeks premature. Um, she was uh, five pounds, two ounces, I think, when we saw her, when we met her. And she was just a tiny, the most tiny, beautiful thing. Uh, she had withdrawn from um, heroin and cocaine and uh, crack on, um, they had used morphine. So um, she was swaddled very tightly and her muscle tone was really tight. Um, but you just know right away they're yours. And, um, and I think with fostering comes a lot of, a lot of visits and a lot of like people coming in your house and seeing how you raise. It's almost like I think all parents should have to go through some sort of inspection mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. it, it made us so aware of the needs of this little baby. Now she had special needs that other kids wouldn't have. Um, and we did a lot of infant massage and we just, she became ours, um, right away. And, um, then when she was a year old, she, the system, the way the system works, you have to, the parental rights have to be terminated and then they have to determine that you are qualified to be adoptive parents. And, and, um, that's how we came to Olivia and we adopted her on national adoption day. Oh yeah. So that was neat. And then Cooper, 
we went and picked up Cooper from the hospital and he was the most beat up looking little boy. Oh. He was uh, two weeks old when we got him. Um, and I went into the hospital first. We could only go one at a time for Cooper. And uh, I just fell in love with that little squish face. And um, we got him home. Uh, we picked him up from the hospital. We brought him home. And we got a call. At the same time, Doreen's better at remembering the sequence of events. But we got a call at the same time that there was another baby that needed a, a placement. So, and it was right before Christmas. It was three weeks before Christmas. And so we all of a sudden had two infants in our house right before Christmas, plus Olivia, who was 13 months old. Oh my God. Um, for those, for those weeks. And it was amazing. Like yeah. we just had, uh, uh, Doreen's folks actually came and there was just, we were constantly rocking kids and putting <laughs> kids to bed and, um, making bottles and doing laundry and changing exactly, diapers. Exactly. Exactly. Fortunately that, that little girl, um, went to her biological father. He was in the middle of the classes when she was born. Mm. So she just needed a place to be while he finished the parenting classes. And I'm just, that was such a happy one because um, he was so thrilled and he got her just before Christmas and it was, Ugh. it was pretty magical. And then Ruby was a phone call and a quick trip. She was eight days old and we picked her up and brought her home. So that's so the call just came out of like nowhere. Like that's how it works. They just say like, like yeah, you're just going you about just, your day and all of a sudden you get a call and they say, there's a baby. Can you take yeah, it? Yeah. So for the foster adopt, we would say we're interested in another baby and we were interested in newborns. Um, and when a baby is available and they need a placement because the idea with foster care, the, the basis of foster care is the, the goal for the state is to return the children to family. That is their, that is their goal. So when you bring these kids in, you know, it's with the goal of them returning to family. So I have a funny feeling that's why the foster adopt system phased out because they couldn't really promise that. So we we got these kids that were earmarked because all the other all the other siblings had gone into foster care and been adopted. You know, there were reasons, mm -hmm. but there were reasons that all of them that they thought that they would need to have adoptive homes. Just in thinking about, <clears throat> you said 16 children have come in and out. I assume yeah. that includes the three that you, that are yours. Correct. Um, I'm just trying to wrap my head around and I don't know what your wife does for a living, but how, 
Given the work that you do as a Broadway stage manager and the erratic schedule that that entails, how did you manage kids coming out and the constant like shifting of dynamic in your house, right? Going from a certain number of kids to another number of kids. And how do you, did you explain that to the children that stayed with you? Like, how did that all kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm blown away. Can you tell? (laughs) So I, I would say that the most, the, the most pivotal occurrence of that was, um, when we had all of our kids, uh, Ruby was, I believe Ruby was six years old or seven years old. Um, and she's the youngest. And um, I was doing Motown. Um, I was in rehearsal for Motown. And Doreen called me um, and I didn't answer. And um, I didn't answer and I didn't answer. And we had... I was coming home to two additional children. Oh, um, so we 18, uh, 18 month old Kaylee and a five week old Jeremiah oh came into our house on that day. Um, and she finally, my friend, Matt, who often I work with as a stage manager, Matt Lacey, um, he and I were coming home on the train. He lives in Maplewood as well. And he got a text from Doreen saying, Julia has to call me. And so I, I called her and she said, listen, you're, we have two kids that are here. And here I am in production for a show with 42 cast members. And it's, it was an insanely huge process. We were opening cold on Broadway. So it wasn't going to be like just regurgitating what we had done out of town. Well, and And like, and you know, the thing about a stage manager too, your hours, like our hours are erratic, but your hours are even longer. So when you're in rehearsal, you know, the actors are called 10 to six, but you have to be there right at nine, right? To set up or like 930. At least, yeah, at least least. I'm there at least by nine and I'm usually done. I mean, when you rehearse at new 42, they kick you out at seven blessings (laughs) on that. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm usually home by nine at night. Um, so forget about tech. I mean, you're there, you're basically don't let it home. Yeah. Tech, you, um, you leave and that's it. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, at the time Doreen was a stay at home mom. So that was a change for us because she had, Doreen was originally an actress. Um, and then she can do anything. She literally is like, can manage anything. She can do anything. Um, sometimes Did I read I somewhere like that she's going to become a social worker. Is that, some, I feel like I found worker. that on my deep dive. She just, she is a social worker now. She just uh, passed her state licensing exam and got her master's in social work. That's amazing. Um, and just got a job with um, uh, a organization. She'll be dealing with uh, children and families therapy for children and families. Um, so 
Yeah. So all of a sudden we were a family of five and I have to be honest, it was probably the best a year and a half of our lives. Um, You know, we just, we found a rhythm of joy within our home and our kids, um, you know, while nothing was perfect, they have, uh, we just all pitched in and, and we, Olivia was great with uh, Kaylee, who was the 18 month old. And she slept up in the room with the girls. Um, we were renting a house at a time at the time. And Jeremiah's crib was in Cooper's room. And uh, and we just became a family of five. And that's just how we lived. Um, and probably one of the hardest days of my life was when those kids packed up and went to uh, a new home, uh, which was over a year later. Oh. Um, that one hurt. Yeah. Um, they, I guess I kind of live my life where I just, I throw my heart into things first. Um, I do it with my work. I throw my heart into my work. Um, and it's not always the greatest way to go. <laughs> um, because you do, you can get hurt very badly. Um, but the feeling that you have, the euphoria you have when you let your heart lead is worth that little bit of pain later. I don't know how to describe it, but after you get over the initial pain, it you've lived that time in a really positive place. And if if I didn't live that way, who knows? I don't know what I'd be. But that's that's how I live, and and that's very much how Doreen lives. Uh, she's smarter than me, so she she like kind of has the she has the foresight to know things are coming um where I don't I just kind of get hit like a truck um but she but um we both lead with our heart and I think that's that's why we do it I mean it's obvious that you do that that you just say yes to these children you know no matter the situation at home I mean I can't help but think of the struggles and the things that you have to deal with having children with special needs and, and the additional support that that requires. Right. Um, I have a neurotypical kid and a a child on the autism spectrum. Um, and what they require is much, it's much different. Uh, and so I, I, I am, I, I'm just going to say it again. Like I, I'm just blown away that you just keep saying yes. That's basically, I feel like your, your motto, like you said, you leave, lead with your heart and these children needed a place and you knew it wasn't for forever. And you just 
that it was, it was, they were yours for that year or however long it was. Yeah, that, that was a hard one because there was a time during that where we were also filing paperwork to, <sighs> to say we would be, you know, we filled out the paperwork saying we would be willing to adopt. So that was a little extra, that was a little more difficult. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll still, I'll see pictures of them and, and I'll get a little, I'll have to catch my breath a little bit. Um, but, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I think it's the right thing to do. And, um, through this, it's been very hard because I would love to have done it. Um, Doreen, I think is done. <laughs> She, she's definitely done. Um, but I would have loved to have done it. And here I am stuck at home without work. Um, and our home is technically too small. Mm. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I want to touch on something that you shared with us at the Women of Broadway uh, forum when you talked about the fact that Cooper, uh, well, all of your children are identify as black, correct? Where, and, yeah. And, and all and three you, of my children are black. Yeah. Yes. And you and Doreen are white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you spoke with regards specifically to Cooper and the fact that he is larger and he is autistic and, um, with the climate, the way it is. And even before that, I mean, obviously we knew there has always been racism and there has always been hate crimes and there have always been issues with regard to, um, attacks against people of color. But I think particularly after the murder of George Floyd last summer, you mm-hmm. spoke a little bit about how it sort of came home for you in the sense of your thoughts as he gets older and goes out into the world more, and particularly like with his rail fanners, you know, he's going out and he's not with you all the time. And, and, and what that's like for something to, it's sort of twofold, like one, just to be a mother of a, a child of color and three children of color and your concerns and the emotions that go with that particularly with regard to the fact that you as a white woman will never, we will never understand what that is. We will never understand what it is to be a person of color on a, on a base level. You can identify with regard and you know, these children, they're your children. And as a mother 
who is white, how, how this time has been for you and, and the conversations perhaps that you and Doreen have had, or if you've, I mean, I don't know if you've talked to Cooper about it at all because of, I don't know where, where he's at sort of on the spectrum. That's a big, long question. I'm sorry. Do you get what I'm saying? (laughs) I do get what you're saying. I mean, I think that it started way before this time. Um, It started way before George Floyd's murder for us because we had to find a balance. We had to find a respect for their world that was different from ours and their world that was the same as ours. For us, it's what I was saying is it's respecting who they are as black people in this country started way before George Floyd's murder, because we, when they came into our home, they were coming into a home of two white parents Um, and we needed to find a balance. We cannot raise them as black parents would. It's just not going to happen. Like where we can, that's not our reality. So we had to find that balance of respect of, uh, letting them learn who they are as their, their individual selves and celebrating that whether it's whether it's their hair whether it's their skin color whether it's their whether they don't acknowledge it at all um we had to let them take the lead on that we couldn't you know we, we weren't going to try to homogenize our children we want them to be who they are because that's what they're going to be in society they are going to be black men and women in society. And so they needed to celebrate that for themselves from the beginning. And that started with us respecting that, not trying to dampen that down, not trying to change that. Um, And when Olivia was in preschool, she had this just beautiful friend um, who had just gorgeous brown skin. It was, you know, light brown, beautiful eyes, just a gorgeous little girl. And um, it was Olivia's best friend. And Olivia is darker skinned, very beautiful. My, she's unfortunately beautiful, my my daughter. Um, And she, she was in, preschool and this little girl apparently went to her mom very upset one day because she didn't have as dark of skin as Liz, as Libby. Libby Libby had convinced her friend that she was more beautiful because her skin was darker. So I I mean that's always been kind of an amazing thing for me that she um that she celebrates that dark skin she's not she's never been ashamed of it to my knowledge uh if she has she's never shared it so um we uh, we 
celebrate it. We don't try to hide it. We celebrate their hair. We celebrate their differences. Um, but then as they've grown older, that celebration has turned into more of a reality uh, that you're not always prepared for. And it's hard to have that conversation with them. Um, I have had it with Cooper. I say to Cooper and I police aren't going to treat you like they treat your friends, your white friends. You're going to have to be more polite. You're going to have to not say anything back. You're going to have to, I, it's, he just has to know those rules because it only takes one time with him having a reaction that's inappropriate, which he has all the time at home. Mm -hmm. Um, that he could end up another statistic and he's not a statistic. He's my son. And so it's scary. It's, uh, that part of it is very scary. Um, we have discussed our differences, you know, our, our kids, <laughs> clearly they know they're adopted. Um, I was just thinking that I was like, clearly they see that you are white and they are black. Like it's, like, yeah, there's a yeah. visual cue there. <laughs> um, but we don't think about it anymore, but we've right. from the, from the time they were little, they've known that they've known that they were chosen, uh, that they're, they're our family, they're our family by choice. And that it's, it's, um, yeah, we've never, we've never hidden that. We've always said that their biological parents weren't able to take care of them. They were too sick to take care of them. Um, believing that addiction is an illness. It is not something that, you know, anyone chooses. Um, so we've, again, I think it's honesty. Um, we don't, we're not hurtful, you know, we're not going to tell them hurtful things, but we do try to tell them the truth. Yeah. I can't imagine how complicated that is on so many levels, obviously. Um, but even just hearing you speak about telling Cooper that he has to behave a certain way, like that is beyond the realm of possibility in my world at the moment. So, and my child is much younger. How old? Obviously she's seven. She's going to be eight in, a, in like a month. Okay. Um, yeah. That's yeah. But, I, and obviously I don't have to worry about her being treated differently because of the color of her skin. Um, I, but I can't imagine having that extra pressure of not knowing if he's going to react a certain way or not. Um, because I live that way every day and I don't know what the reaction is going to be. Um, mm -hmm. so I can't imagine the extra, uh, level of nerves that surround that for you. Oh yeah. That is, uh, that's the most difficult, uh, of all is that he, um, 
thank goodness he is generally a very polite kid, uh, especially with strangers and with, you know, he's very quiet and polite. He is not like that is not who he is. He's he's bombastic and he's unpredictable. Um, and like I said, we we never thought that he would find friends um, that would accept him for who he was um, that weren't cultivated through us. Right. And and in fact, his 16th birthday party, this is an example. This has all happened so fast. His 16th birthday party ended up being at a bowling alley. It was completely empty because of the pandemic. Um, it was pretty much right after they had opened up in November. And um, it was three stage manager friends of mine who Cooper loves. It was his godfather, Matt, uh, another stage manager friend of mine, Rolt. I know Rolt. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, Chris Minnell, uh, Rolt Smith, Chris Minnell, and Matt Lacey. And that was his party. That was his birthday party. And it was amazing. We had a great time. And, um, but now he has this group of friends. He has this group of buddies that he can celebrate with. And he's, um, and one of them, this Nick, who is also on the spectrum, who turned 30, has my, has my phone number. And on a couple of occasions when Cooper has had, because as he gets more comfortable, his responses are more, uh, are more himself. Mm -hmm. He's it's, and there's been a couple of times where Nick has texted me worried and like Cooper has been kicked out of the train group and we've had to sort of have a little intervention to, you know, and we've explained to uh, a couple of the kids where Coop is and yeah. they're his buddies. So it's, just, it's kind of a big deal. It's yeah. a really big deal. I mean, yeah. and it gives me a lot of hope to hear you say that. Um, but also you just must feel such joy to see him have a space that's just his, that hasn't Absolutely. been created by you, that's been fostered by his wants and his needs and his desires and the things that he likes. And I just, oh, I mean, it must just be the best feeling. Oddly, he needs me around a lot. So I go on more dinners and <laughs> birthday your, parties. Your and social life has taken off, Julia. My social <laughs> life has really taken a turn. You're going to be I the mean, griller tomorrow. Yeah, I am. am. <laughs> yep. We're getting up at, we're leaving at five in the morning to go to Bear Mountain so they can go rail fanning. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but take a book, take a book. Yeah. <laughs> Real fanning. I mean, I, the terms we learned. I know. No, I just love that though. I mean, it, it reminded me when you were talking about it, it reminded me of the conversations we have like with Elliot now she's, you know, she's almost seven 
And it's the, it's learning how to have the dynamic, particularly after a year where we were her only playmates basically for the pandemic. But when they're, you know, the neurotypical kids, we tend to have to maneuver and learn how to be in a group when we're younger. Right. So now that he has this group of friends, you're having the conversations and working through the issues, um, just a little later, you know, just a little later, but it's, we also do have to acknowledge that cognitively he's, he is a, about an eight-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it, it's, he's socially 16 and a half. Yeah. Um, so it, it, there is a certain comfort he has in me. Right. Of course. Um, totally. Which we'll see how that goes when I'm back at work. That, you, but, that was a perfect lead into our next question. <laughs> How did you know? Um, you know, you were doing MJ the musical, correct? When I am. shut down, you are. Well, so, I mean, it hadn't happened yet, but right, yes. but you were in pre-production, I would assume. Yeah. Um, so g- heading back to work after the time that we've had this this giant space of time with no work. Um, the social awakening that has happened in our country, but also specifically in our industry. Mm. How do you, how are you moving forward um, as a stage manager during this time? How has this time changed you? Um, how do you see your next steps in this industry? I, it's interesting. I just got a phone call from, uh, a fella, Brian Harlan Brooks, who uh, I worked with on Motown, extremely like a beautiful man, very smart, very, um, and we were talking about this a little bit. Um, I have to go in having listened very keenly to what has been said and try to apply that to my life. The one thing that I hope changes, we are not human resources, stage managers. We're not trained uh, that way. We, um, and yet we're very often put in the position uh, where we are, and company managers. I shouldn't just say stage managers, but that's what I am. So um, company managers and stage managers are often put in the position where we are to be human resources and we're to be social workers and we're just not. That's not our training. Um, Our training is stage managing. Our training is in a field, a creative field where we're working with people, we're working with creative people and, and trying to manage shows, uh, and in some cases, very large shows. Um, and over the years, I've heard it. I've heard many mistakes that other stage managers have made that I hear, and I'm just like, appalled, like, I can't believe that that's been said or done to an actor. Um, And then I think back and I think, God, I've done some pretty shitty things over the years because I don't know any better. Um, 
So I'm hoping that we'll get a little more support from producers and general managers in the realm of, and I, and I believe that they're doing this where they'll maybe have some training or staff. I also don't want to become HR. No, yeah, yeah, no. Um, I don't have that capacity. I, I, Doreen has studied for two years to become a master's in social work. She has the capacity to deal with those things on a much different level. I don't have that capacity. Um, so I would like to believe that I'm going to go back in respecting what I've learned by listening to what has been said by uh, other managers, um, actors, people that I respect, people of color that I respect, um, and what I've heard and continue to grow uh, as a manager and support people throughout the process and try to be try to be more of a, a support than a uh, a yes and no man, you know, try to support the process and not just be uh, everything is either yes or no or up or down, but try to see the gray area a little bit in the middle. Yeah. A little more. Yeah. It's something Beverly Jenkins said. She was on our show a while back and talk about someone who's had lots of kids exactly we talked to her about all that but you know that when you're a stage manager you have as we have hinted at you know actors are emotional beings right and there's a a certain amount of caretaking that just comes naturally with your job yeah absolutely um but having this concept of a human resources department for our industry has been floating around for a while. It's something that's come up when Jess and I talk about when you become pregnant and you need to leave a show, there's not the the HR department that you go to and talk to about the process. It's all specific to your producers and your stage management and your company management. And none of those people are neutral in in that position. You need that neutral party that doesn't have emotions invested in what's going on, that's gonna treat you according to those emotions. And our entire industry could benefit from an HR department across the board, you know, and I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that our company, Tina, we've had our Zooms about going back. And one of the things that is being discussed and trying to be worked out is having maybe an HR person that covers shows specific to producers, like maybe the Dodgers have one HR person for their shows. And so that, because it shouldn't go onto stage management and company management, like y'all have enough that you have to deal with and it shouldn't be, you know, people should be able to speak up and, and, uh, and, and have things fixed and addressed without a fear of kickback or retribution, you know, with regard to, um, having, you know, yeah, the MJ general the MJ general managers and producers are pretty great. Like they're they're working really hard to try to 
uh, affect change. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you also have to lean in as a stage manager. No, I am I'm not qualified to handle all of those things. And I do make mistakes. Um, I like to believe that I'm approachable when I make those mistakes. Um, and that someone can say, you know, that was not good. Right. And this is why. And that I can absorb that information. Um, but you, I mean, you do, <laughs> you're right. You do lean in. I had, um, uh, an actress on a show who was, uh, trying to do, uh, fertility treatments and, um, she had to do her shots at a very specific time. And it happened to be at curtain time. And uh, she wasn't telling anyone. There were only one other person in the company and myself that she shared it with. And so we literally had a night and uh, where I had to, I wasn't calling the show. I had this particular person in my office um, with the with the other actress who was giving her the shot, and I had the stage manager hold the show oh <laughs> so we could do the shot. I mean, you just end up in the most peculiar positions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but at least you were, I mean, I have to say, at least you were a woman first off, because I do feel like that, that would have been maybe an issue as well. Like men, that's something I found now that I'm a mother, when I have a stage manager who is also a mother or a parent, even if it's a man and he's a parent, I find that they are much more accessible and, and I'm able to be honest and, and, and they understand where I'm coming from when there are issues as opposed to someone who, who is not. It's just what it is, you know? So I'm glad you were a woman and you and Doreen had also been down that road. So you had personal experience and you knew like, okay, well, she has to make this happen. Let's figure it out. You know, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, we actually had never done those shots. I, I had no idea what she was talking about, but, um, no, you just have to lean in, you know, you have to, you have to lean in. And I think that's the same thing with, uh, someone, you know, you have to figure out, you have to lean in and figure out how to make things work. Um, and that includes someone of color. If they come up to me and they say, I don't know, look, half hour isn't enough for me. And I can't also do eight hours of rehearsal. Okay. So let's figure this out. Maybe your call is Maybe you're, we add 15 minutes to your call and we take that out of your rehearsal hours mm-hmm. and that balances that out. You, you have to, you have to be able to lean in and you have to be a creative thinker. And, um, I do think as a parent, now that I've leaned more into the, I used to be really against being a parent for an actor. 
when I was younger. I was like, they're not children. And um, and I still don't believe actors are children. Actors are incredibly smart. <laughs> actors, uh, actors are incredibly smart, creative individuals. Um, but there's a vulnerability that we are asking you to have. And that vulnerability is can almost take on a childlike quality. And I think that's where that horrible misnomer of actors being children are. Because um, I, I refuse to call an actor a child. Um, to me, they are not only my equals, but they're the reason for the season. <laughs> if we don't have these beautiful people in our lives, we are not going to have the business of show. So um, for me, now that I've, I've given up that sort of, you're all adults, so grow up and do your job. Uh, and, and been turned more into, oh, well, parenting and leaning in and celebrating that vulnerability ultimately is going to lead to success for the show and so i have i have adopted a sort of a hybrid between between my younger self and and being too much of a mush who gets taken advantage of at every turn <laughs> well like you said you lead with your heart in your work and in your life right to open yourself up to these experiences, but you yeah. have the set the head of a stage manager, which yes. is the key, right? You're you're there to like figure it out. You see the pieces; they're all spread out in a different way. You're right. Like, how are we going to fit these all together and make this work? So, yeah. uh, I I feel like you're nailing it, Julia. I feel like there should be more of you in the world. I mean, I that's the biggest takeaway from this: you and your wife, yeah. incredible well, things. That absolutely, absolutely, and thank you. You know, it means so much that you were here to talk to us and, and you're just, your heart, I could talk to you all day, Julia. It's like, we're fascinated. Cause I know there are also things Kara found on the blog that like we haven't even touched on, which is, it's crazy the way you've made it all work. I feel like if, if you were my stage manager on a show, I would just be in the office all the time, like talking to yes. you. You know how like the actors always sit in the office talking to yeah. stage management? Like, sorry, I would be in your office all the time. Yeah, yes, we, exactly. we, we have, uh, I am fortunate that I work with um, I'm Matt Lacey, who I mentioned, and another woman, Mary McLeod. I don't know if you know her, mm -hmm. but I know her from back when she was performing. Yeah, when she was yeah. a dancer. Um, yeah. But now she's a really awesome stage manager. Um, but we are, often are a destination spot, our office for people. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I can't wait I till too. we can go back to our destination spots yeah. and talk to our stage managers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. This was such an awesome was conversation. Awesome. And um and I can't wait to run into you like in the neighborhood. We're gonna be we're gonna be close. You're only that's, like a couple blocks away from me. That's right. That's and right. <laughs> over at the Neil Simon. So um congrats on that and coming back and things are coming and and Broadway is coming back and also just hats off to you, Julia, hats off to you and Doreen and, um, and the good that you are putting out into the world. And, um, 
Thank, Thank you. you so and, much. And, and hats off to the two of you for putting together some pride material. Ah, oh, yes. We got to yeah. Yeah, celebrate all of it. I mean, all the celebrate stories. everyone. Yep. Yeah, no, this is great. Like, I, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. Special shout outs to Rachel Spencer Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.